0: It's over 9,000!
1: Greetings, Super Elite Warriors, and welcome to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. Unfortunately, I am not joined by my co host at this time. As we begin yet another year of Final Forum, I once again mourn the loss of the bikini. But for real this time. You see, after I bravely and single handedly fought the horde of evil Bikini's cloned by the parasite inside of him, I was left with a choice. Either continue my partnership with Bikini and forever have the threat of the parasite hanging over the head of this podcast, or attempt to remove the invading organism and risk Bikini's life during the operation. I chose the latter, leading to the loss of my co-host's life. I weep for my co-host and regret to
0: inform all of you that... Jelly? Jelly, can you hear me? What the... Again?! I'm picking you up on my scouter. Did you... did you bury me?
1: You died in my arms. Of course I buried you. Why? I thought it befitting that you be laid to rest on the planet where
0: you gave your life in service to Lord Frieza. I thought my body would be returned to my loved ones for proper disposal, as per the traditions of my people. And what are the traditions of your people? That's not important right now. This all feels oddly familiar. Are you going to pretend that I'm actually still dead this time? I mean, it's all so similar that it feels like exactly the type of thing a stress-addled brain might concoct in order to process trauma. A comfortable feeling of repetition. What?
1: No, I'm on my way
0: to dig you up. Really? Hmm. I guess I forgot I was considering what a normal stress-addled brain would do and not you. I mean, how can I resist a good
1: opportunity to defile a grave? And
0: there it is. You truly are incapable of normalcy, aren't you? You want me to come get you or not? Oh no, come dig me up. Although, what do you mean, come get me?
1: Well, I was just about to leave this planet.
0: But how? Our ship was destroyed.
1: Like I said before, we were attacked by the evil squad of shapeshifters in your image. That's not what they were. Our ship was shot down by energy torpedoes, and you don't think those responsible had spaceships? I found one. I commandeered it. It's a few clicks from our ship's wreckage where you died and I buried you, so it'll take me a bit to get there.
0: Well, hurry up, please. I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic, but I'm I'm not super comfortable.
1: Well, try to get comfortable, because while I make my way to you, there's plenty of time for this week's topic. And this week, we are starting on King Piccolo. We're in the King Piccolo saga of Dragon Ball, one of the final two sagas. We're in like the final 33 episodes or something, maybe more. Isn't there like 135 episodes of Dragon Ball?
0: That feels yeah, right. that does feel right. <laughs> we will not fact check that at all.
1: But Today we're on episodes 102, 103, and 104.
0: That's right. So starting off with episode 102 titled Enter King Piccolo. We open this episode with Goku receiving a premonition that everything is not okay with Krillin. And he's right. Krillin is dead. The others catch up, and they are all just as shocked over what has happened. Mr. Announcer fills them in on how it all went down. Some monster shows up, takes Goku's Dragon Ball and the tournament roster. Goku grabs his power pole, he gets the Dragon Radar from Bulma, and now he's on the war path. He tracks the assailant while the others search the crime scene. Oolong finds a paper that has some sort of demon symbol on it. This sends a spike of panic through Master Roshi. It is the sigil of Demon King Piccolo, or Piccolo Daimao, as they call him this guy's bad news cue flashback we learned that king piccolo was a horrific totalitarian leader that ruled with the with the most iron of fists his monstrous followers would wipe out whole cities but they met their match when they stumbled upon roshi and crane's old martial arts temple where they trained his students after wiping out his troops the big man himself appears he makes quick work of roshi and crane and mutaito sama their master steps in When questioned about his actions, Piccolo divulges that he wants to kill the will of anyone who dare oppose him with a display of extreme force. That display is by dissecting Mutaito-sama with tiny energy blasts, a death by a thousand cuts, if you will. All hope seems lost, but Roshi and Crane manage to save Mutaito before his ultimate end. He leaves his students to train in seclusion with the promise of returning. Piccolo continues his rampage, humanity flees his evil, Master Roshi takes refuge in the mountains, but he continues to hold out hope for his master's return. Mutaito does indeed return with an ultimate technique no less, the Mafuba. Using this technique, Mutaito captures and seals Piccolo inside of a rice cooker, saving the day. But the price is steep. The effort drains Mutaito completely of his life force, leaving him dead. Roshi drops the rice cooker to the bottom of the ocean, confident that Piccolo will never return. Meanwhile, Goku continues his pursuit of the murderer using Kinto'un as to close the gap. We now get our first look at King Piccolo's airship, used to be Pilaf's, complete with Skull Throne and an Advisor Lackey. As for the man, demon, or alien, himself? He's looking a bit less spry, and we learn that Piccolo is after eternal youth. So how is Pilaf involved? Why, he freed Piccolo in exchange for half of conquered Earth. Okay, more like a third. All right, fine, a quarter. We learn the name of Krillin's killer is Tambourine, and Piccolo is awaiting his arrival. We know why he wants the Dragon Ball now, but why the roster for the tournament? It seems King Piccolo has an axe to grind with martial artists. He wants to wipe them out along with the secret technique that sealed him away in the first place. The episode ends with Goku finally catching up to the mysterious tambourine, which will lead us into episode 103 titled Tambourine Attacks so goku's caught up and he's ready to dish out revenge on krillin's murderer tambourine seems nonplussed and i think that's frieza's voice actor in the japanese version we get a recap of the murder from his perspective because krillin dying isn't enough no let's make sure we disrespect his memory too on top of that tambourine makes goku look like a joke tambourine destroys and brutally beats goku before he can even hit the ground despite the severe shellacking goku doesn't give up We also hear the word mazoku, which is uh, in reference to Piccolo's forces. It's what they called themselves. Goku's toughness unnerves Tambourine, which initiates another beating, but Goku's still alive. Tambourine eventually gets bored and leaves Goku for dead in the forest. I wonder if that'll ever come back to bite him in the ass. Anyways, the others continue to wait for Goku's return, except now night has fallen. Goku's been MIA for quite a while now. Everyone's predicting doom and gloom, but they share the resolve to take the fight to Piccolo himself. But first... They must lay Krillin to rest. Back at Piccolo's airship, Tambourine has returned with the Dragon Ball. Our villains review the tournament roster and Tambourine gloats about killing both Krillin and Goku, proving that there are no strong martial artists anywhere in the world. The scene then shifts to a temple where Chapa-O is flexing on his students and then Tambourine shows up and flexes on him instead. And then all of his students. Is this a temple for training and jobbing? Next up is Panpudo and he gets embarrassed in the professional ring, silencing his fans, an entire arena full. And thus, that brings us to our final episode this week, episode 104, Mark of the Demon. So for this one to start out, they do have a pretty egregious misuse of flashback at the start of the episode. I think it's like the first five minutes of the episode is all devoted to flashback. (laughs) But eventually we get some establishing shots of a dog in an alleyway. Uh, It also happens to be where Tambourine is continuing his killing spree with Bacterian. Some pretty decent art this episode as well. That's some very smooth and pretty animation in this episode, which is bittersweet given what happens next. On the airship, Piccolo decides to create another Dragon Warrior to collect the Dragon Balls while Tambourine's busy. How does he do this, you ask? Well, he recites a nursery rhyme and then, you know, yaks up an egg. You ever seen a snake eat an egg? Okay, now picture that in reverse. That's, that's Piccolo giving birth. You're welcome. <laughs> and so Symbol was born. He takes off to retrieve the six other Dragon Balls while Pilaf's gang continues to wonder if they've made a smart choice here. Back in the jungle, Goku wakes up from his impromptu nap. And true to form, he immediately starts looking for food. At Kame House, the gang fill Tien and Chaotsu in on the Dragon Balls and start discussing what wish they should make. Uh, do they revive Krillin or they, do they destroy Piccolo? A newscast on the TV informs them that fighters from the tournament are now being taken out, which prompts them to move that, to move the Kame House itself to a, hidden, a new hidden location once Bulma completes her new Dragon Radar. Meanwhile, Manwolf has bitten the dust. Goku continues his quest for sustenance. And he finds a giant grilled fish, which is clearly somebody's lunch. Yeah, he's that guy. He tries to summon Kinto again, but it doesn't heed his call. No matter, Goku has a dragon radar. He can run to Tambourine. He fires up the radar and discovers he's basically right on top of a dragon ball. Goku thinks this means Tambourine is nearby. But I get the feeling this is someone else entirely. It appears to be some sort of wild man. Oh, it looks like he's the one who is going to eat that fish. That's where the episode ends.
1: Okay, so let's uh let's do some quick fact checking. First, there's 153 episodes of Dragon Ball, not 135.
0: We're close though. We got Maybe all the numbers. Little, we got all a little the, bit of Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of dyslexia there, but it's okay.
1: <laughs> we got all the numbers right, but just, you know. But so we are in the final 50 some episodes, so our pace of anywhere between 3 and 5 episodes per one of our episodes, we've got like 13 ish episodes of final forum left before we're done with dragon ball that's first second tambourine in in the japanese dub voiced by ryusei nakao nakao born tamo haru takeo i don't know your guess is as good as mine on how that stage (laughs) name comes out of that given name I don't know enough about, like, Japanese to be like, oh, it's probably some sort of rearrangement of the kanji. You know, like, <laughs> who knows? Possible. Someone, someone probably does, but it's not me. <laughs> but he is known for voicing tambourine, Frieza, Cooler, and Frost. Hey, I got it. In the English tambourine, voiced by Damien Clark, the voice of Bora... The Bear Thief, and this is where I really recognize him. Cell, and specifically the oh. voice he uses for Imperfect Cell.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I just kind of learned that today that Damian Clark does Imperfect Cell, Semi-Perfect Cell, and Perfect Cell. Amazing job that he uses those. Like those are three very distinct, different voices. That we fantastic. go. We can
0: we can put him in the list that we were talking about earlier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> offline bikini and i were talking about good voice acting performances are ones where you can't necessarily tell who's doing it and uh we compared bradley cooper as as rocket raccoon as like a, a good example of you wouldn't know that that was bradley cooper until someone told you after the fact
0: and if you disagree we don't care because we're right <laughs>
1: Damian Clark also did Paragus in both the DBZ Broly movie and the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie. Nice. It so, always makes
0: me feel warm and fuzzy inside when they when they have voice actors come in and and either like do repeat roles or they give them new roles when their character is no longer in the story.
1: So yes, that's uh, good ears on you on the on the Japanese version and. I I will say like I didn't I wasn't like, oh, that's definitely the voice. But like as soon as I saw that it's the same voice as Cell, I was like, oh, that is the I could hear the voice of Imperfect Cell and Tambourine. Yeah. Good batch of episodes, by the way. Oh, yeah.
0: There's a lot going on in these episodes.
1: But this is definitely like a shift in tone again. But all the stuff with like Piccolo taking over the earth and like that's a whole bunch of really cool action sequences there. With all mm-hmm. the monsters and demons taking over the earth, and people trying to fight them, it it's one of those things where it it, it feels at times maybe a little bit incongruous. Sometimes I think with like the world maybe of Dragon Ball, because it's like it's when Roshi is young, and we know that Roshi's yeah. like hundreds of years old, mm-hmm. and so people had tanks and giant cities hundreds of years ago in the dragon world. No,
0: don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't think about it too much. <laughs> it's fine. Plot hole where yeah. my, my, my other thing is, is it's funny to me that Piccolo doesn't know about the dragon balls, given the lore that's established in dragon ball Z.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: that's when we get, we're, we're going to do like a Piccolo episode. This is not that episode. <laughs> we'll do an episode more about Piccolo and we'll try and see if we can both in in canon and in the real world reconcile some of those inconsistencies with Piccolo's character
0: I'm I'm already working on a theory
1: I w- I will say the re- the real world explanation is cuz Toriyama makes this up as he goes along and forgot like <laughs>
0: definitely (laughs) that's that's why (laughs) it's been one of my favorite things about going back and watching dragon ball is is learning all the things that he kind of just forgot about (laughs) so some
1: some episode trivia but no this is a is a good batch of episodes i really they're really fun to watch they're breezy they're quick i mean yeah there's the the like you said some some recap stuff that's that's pretty egregious but there's a lot going on and Dragon Ball is always at its most interesting, I think, at the very like not the very beginning of a saga, but like when it's when it's really establishing everything in a saga and that is happening at the forefront in this one.
0: Yeah, we get a lot of really good like world building and stuff out of these 3 episodes.
1: And then obviously at the end cuz Dragon Ball does a great job with payoffs and and you know, big climaxes and finales. So Dragon Ball is always at its best, kind of at the bookends of its sagas. And this one doesn't, because, and we talked about the cliffhanger that the previous episode ends on, because mm-hmm. this one has that cliffhanger, instead of having that usual one or two episodes of transition, we are jumping right into it. Absolutely. And and we hit the ground running in the King Piccolo stuff, so... Great stuff. Some some episode trivia before we get into more in-depth kind of stuff. In episode 102, when Master Mutaito, Mutaito uh, leaves Roshi and Shen, in the Japanese original, he says he'll return someday, as you noted in your, in your mm-hmm. synopsis. But in the English version, he says, I'm leaving forever. I'm disgraced and I'm shamed. And then, you know, two minutes later... <laughs> <laughs> he he returns again. But it's just a different in the in the English version it tries to make it seem more like he's defeated feeling versus the the Japanese ver I I don't know why it does that, but it it's a difference. Chow has a moment where he's like, Did Crane Hermit is he the one who released Piccolo? But if you think about it, there's a little inconsistency, a little plot hole, maybe, because at the time Piccolo was imprisoned Shen was no longer following the path of goodness. He wasn't with Roshi and Mutaito anymore, and so he wouldn't even know that Mutaito impris- imprisoned Piccolo. Oh my god, Dragon Ball is ruined. Oh no. <laughs> in the episode 103 recap, this is, this is kind of an interesting one. So, In the episode 103 reca- recap, the narrator calls King Piccolo an alien. Eagle-eared listeners may hear this. Eagle-eared? Bat-eared?
0: I like bat-eared.
1: I like that. (laughs) Bat-eared listeners may hear this and point to it and say, Oh, see? Piccolo was intended to be an alien all along. But remember, the dub for Dragon Ball was done after Dragon Ball Z. And therefore, the dub crew had knowledge of Piccolo's alien ancestry, which would not be revealed in the actual chronology of both the show and the manga until Vegeta and Nappa arrive on earth in Dragon Ball Z, which is like episode, I think like it's 20 something of the Dragon Ball Z anime. And we are 50 episodes from Dragon Ball Z. So like 70 episodes from, from now. So even, even knowing that the anime lags behind the manga I, I know it doesn't lag behind that much
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: to where, because what do we say? It's, I forget what we said. Isn't it usually like an episode or a batch of episodes that, that kind of cover a chapter is usually somewhere between 10 and f- like 40 chapters behind, kind of?
0: That sounds about right.
1: I feel like I remember that-ish. So even even that, we're still not at, Piccolo's being revealed to be an alien when the Japanese anime is produced so this is a a dub only thing it's a it's like an ex post facto Uh, some some relevant uh tokusatsu trivia for you there's a an Ultraman series called Return of Ultraman that when it originally aired was supposed to be just Ultraman coming back the the original Ultraman And in making that Ultraman, they sort of inverted the colors on him a little bit. He's got red in some of the places the original Ultraman has silver and kind of vice versa. 30 years later, they refer to that Ultraman as Ultraman Jack. When it was translated for the English home video market on Blu-ray, like recently, they call him Jack in the in the, the translation and the subtitles. And mm-hmm. I was like talking to some of my friends who know a lot more about Ultraman. And I was like, Oh look, they're calling him Jack. And they were like, yeah, no, that's, that was like done for your benefit. <laughs> like <Huh. laughs> that's a, that's an ex post facto. Like they put it in there because now they call him Jack. And I was like, Oh, so they're like, they just are taking liberties with the translation. So Dragon Ball's doing the same thing here.
0: A little bit of an oopsie doodle.
1: Nimbus, the original Nimbus, is actually destroyed for good in this. There are further Nimbus Nim, Nimbuses?
0: I think that's the plural, yeah. Nimbi? I'll go with Nimbuses.
1: Nimbuses. But they are not this one. Uh, this one is destroyed by Tambourine. I don't... Does that
0: matter super much? I... I mean, I think it does in the moment because it's it's like kind of artificially forcing Goku to not be able to immediately catch up to the guy that killed his best friend. Yeah. Because otherwise, you'd sit there and go, well, why is he not immediately jumping back on his cloud and chasing Tambourine down? It is an interesting
1: thing because we're told earlier in Dragon Ball, during the Red Ribbon Army stuff... That a mm-hmm. Nimbus cannot be destroyed as long as, like, the person who rides it, who owns it, like, maintains their, their pure heart and also isn't destroyed.
0: But, yeah, but that was ages ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think you could also easily say, yeah, that's like, you can't blow it up with a grenade. You can't blow it up with a bomb. But this is a, a demon firing an evil beam. Yeah. It's It's different. But, but, again, here's another, like, difference in the dub versus the the original Japanese. In the In the original Japanese, in episode 104, Goku calls Flying Nimbus, and it, like, doesn't show up, and he's Flying Nimbus, and it doesn't show up. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it was destroyed, and that's, like, our indication that it was destroyed for good. In the dub, I guess maybe, arguably, the dub translators were paying more attention to the older episodes (laughs) probably because they change it and they have goku just sort of say tambourine i'm gonna get you for killing krillin oh krillin i'm sorry i let you down i'm gonna avenge you so it's like completely different it doesn't even mention the nimbus and then a couple more things in the tsunami broadcast of the dub version, so if you were watching this in, what, like 2002, I think, when this originally aired, on Toonami, the scene of Man-Wolf's corpse floating down the river was removed, as was the brief moment where we see Krillin as a skeleton,
0: and a moment where Piccolo burps. That was just taken out. All of the disturbing things Piccolo does in this episode, and they cut the burp. That one seems weird. <laughs> that one does seem weird. I kind of get
1: and even the the Krillin as a skeleton thing seems a little over the top because it's kind of played as a joke. Yeah. I get the removal of Manwolf's corpse cuz it is for what censors were considering still a kids show at the time.
0: Yeah, that seems a little a little much probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like when they changed all the bullets in G.I. Joe to be lasers. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I get you.
1: Cuz lasers are somehow less violent than bullets. Absolutely. <laughs> it's
0: just a it's just a really high-powered flashlight. Tag, you're it. <laughs> all right. So, Master Taito. In Japanese, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to break this down by syllable, folks. In Japanese, mu means martial or valiant. It's a kanji associated with martial arts, but also it's a Chinese surname. Tai means great or exalted, and to means fight or battle. So Mutaito is exalted martial arts fighter, which means it's actually less likely to be his literal name and more his title. This is similar to Roshi himself, if you recall from our Master Roshi episode a a while back. Muten Roshi translates to great heavenly sage who is a master of martial arts. It's less a specific name and more an honorary title that his students and those who revere his legend call him. Mutaito's gi is pretty similar to that of Roshi, uh, just a different color in the anime. Uh, in the manga, there's not really a color because, you know, black and white. Suggesting that Roshi is continuing a tradition of passing down his master's teachings to his own students. Hmm. He,
1: he looks a little like Jackie Chun.
0: Yeah, I picked that up too. It's it's the hairstyle. It's like almost exactly the same. I think.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if
0: if anyone has ever asked Toriyama, like, did you do that on purpose? Right, like Jackie Chun's like an homage to his master. Yeah, because that'd be. I could see unique. that. I I agree. I think that would be great. It could just be a cosmic coincidence. Knowing Toriyama, though, <laughs> just like well, I was already drawing that hairline for the tournament arc, so I just figured I'd use it again. <laughs>
1: Uh, then there's then there's the evil containment wave, or as it's known in Japanese, the mafuba. Ma means demon or evil spirit. So when we talk about, like, Majin Bu later on, that'll, you know, be uh, a root, uh. part of that as well, demon or evil spirit. Fu means seal or enclose. And ba means wave. It's, it's the same kanji that's used in Kamehameha. And dodanpa, but because of Japanese semantics and weird language rules, here it gets pronounced as ba instead of ha or pa. So that's fun. Cool. Mafuba is inspired by practices of demon sealing used by Taoists, Buddhists, and Shintoists. So it's steeped in this East Asian culture. Fu-seals are used by many priests to ward off evil and demons. We've touched on this idea a little bit already when we discussed Chao-Tzu and Jiangxi. That Fu are used by Taoists to seal or gain mastery over the spirit world in some way. And and here it's specifically an, an evil spirit. As many things in Dragon Ball do, this has roots in Journey to the West. In that story, Lao Tsi shoves Sun Wukong into a crucible and seals it with a Fu. This ultimately is how Sun Wukong becomes incredibly strong. The crucible is meant to kill him, but he's clever enough to survive. I think he finds like a not-hot spot inside of it, but it's, its cleansing heat serves to further strengthen Sun Wukong. Additionally, the Buddha, like the... the... the Buddha... <laughs>
0: the the important one yeah Uh,
1: traps sun wukong in the palm of his hand and then seals him with a fu under a mountain until the fu is removed by juan we've discussed these stories before and how they serve to make sun wukong the great warrior he is and also humble him at least a little bit to make him realize he needs to go on his journey of discovery and self-cultivation the the one where the Buddha traps Sun Wukong in the palm of his hand is where he's, he says something like, if you can jump out of my hand, I will something, something, I forget, like, you know, make you a Buddha or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. Sun Wukong does his cloud somersault backflip thing, finds what he believes are the pillars that hold up the universe. And, oh boy, I want to say he either carves his name into one or pees
0: on it. I think he puts like his mark on one of them, if I remember correctly, <laughs>
1: both of those sound,
0: which I <laughs> guess could still technically both make, make both of those true. But,
1: and then he flips back to the Buddha and the Buddha is like, yeah, that was my finger. And so then he traps him. They, they serve to inspire the bul- Buddhist, Buddhist the Buddhist belief system and the ideas about crucibles and self cultivation that drive the religion. They also, though, serve to show the power of these Fu symbols. No matter how strong Sun Wukong becomes, he's incapable of breaking a Fu created by a holy master. So it is with King Piccolo as well. He's the most powerful being on Earth to this point. In the show, or in the manga, whatever. He is is the most powerful creature that has ever existed, as far as we know. Uh, But he's incapable of breaking a seal made of paper on a jar that held him. Uh, He needs help in order to break that seal.
0: So the Taoist practice of using seals to ward off or contain evil spirits gets exposed or exported, I should say, to Japan and becomes part of on Mayodo. I think I said that right. I hope I said that right. (laughs) Which is the Japanese amalgamation of Buddhism, Taoism and Shintoism, emphasizing fortune telling, calendar divination, protection from demons, feng shui, healing arts, and sealing off of evil. To create a fu, a priest uses elaborate movements accompanied by a mantra chant and the drawing of seals in a magical pattern. This practice becomes highly regarded by the emperor and thus trickles down to commoners as well, ultimately leading to the popularity of gofu, or talismans, and shinpu, or runes. Ultimately, this gets further distilled into trinkets called omamori, or protective charms, It becomes something of a household item and eventually is used in many kung fu movies where Taoist martial artist priests capture an enemy in a jar and seal it with a fu. The most obvious parallel is the symbol of a cross or crucifix, which has roots in Christian religion of being symbolic of the sacrifice of Christ himself. Though obviously a crucifix gets further back as crucifixion was a common execution method, but nonetheless the image becomes closely associated with the power of Christ himself. Uh, but ultimately, it gets distilled down into something that people wear in jewelry and hang around their homes. And eventually, it becomes popular horror iconography as well, uh, where you can see vampires or demons being held at bay or destroyed by crosses.
1: And typically, the jars that are used to contain these evil spirits in, in Taoist culture, and even a lot of the kung fu movies that Toriyama watches, are earthen jars. They're like clay, and they're they're made with your hands. The idea is that everything associated with the Fu is made from some sort of pure, honest, hardworking kind of material, which also has a power then that the evil spirit, no matter how physically strong, cannot break. But this is Akira Toriyama, so he obviously isn't going to do what's typical, and he does as much of a subversion as he can think of. And instead of making this jar an earthen jar or a clay pot or something like that, he makes it an electric rice cooker, which he calls denshi ja, or electric jar. This is mildly sacrilegious, but you know, funny nonetheless. It's like putting a cross on a toaster to fight vampires. Which, now that I think about it, if you used a shiny toaster, it would be like a mirror as well as a cross. And that seems kind of perfect. I like
0: it. <laughs> And also, like... I think it it kind of goes back also to where you were talking about how, like these jars are made of a pure, honest, like hardworking material. And I could totally see somebody from a culture that eats as much rice as Asian cultures do seeing something like a rice cooker being a an honest, hardworking appliance, essentially
1: that's true. That's interesting. yeah. so it's it's like a it's like a mild sacrilege only like, because it, the toaster analogy becomes more and more perfect the, the more I think about it. Because it because again like like uh, you know toast bread is kind of considered garlic. the garlic bread. The, the, the <laughs> <laughs> but also it's like toast and bread are considered like like commoner food. Yeah. It's a uh, every you know every every Joe schmo can have a piece of toast cuz bread costs nothing per loaf uh, that's even a joke in did you see the menu
0: no i haven't seen it yet it's on oh. my list there's a there's a joke really
1: good, there's a joke in the menu at one point where i i don't want to get too deep into it but the the like main antagonist of the movie the kind of main character is setting up one of his courses for this for this extravagant meal and it you know he gives this long spiel about how bread has long been the food of the common man, but all of you with me dining today are not the common man because if you can afford to spend fifteen hundred dollars per plate on a dinner, you're not a common man. Thus, I give you an uncommon course, a bread course with no bread, and it's just the accompaniments of the bread, like like all the dipping sauces that you would put on a bread. <laughs> But so, yes, bread is bread is a common thing. This whole thing with the toaster just seems more and more perfect the more I think about it. I'm going to make like.
0: It's like a happy I, accident right here.
1: Like some kind of movie. All I can picture in my head is you know that episode of The Simpsons where he has the time traveling toaster? Mm
0: hmm. Yes, some, I know something exactly. Something like what you're that, talking
1: about. but the toaster like pops up bread that has little crosses on it. <laughs>
0: I was thinking of like what if what if there was another Constantine movie and then like one of the evil spirits that he defeats he just like beats in the head with a toaster that's got a crucifix on the <laughs> side of it.
1: I think it like 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 the toast pops out it's got a little cross on it and like blasts into a, a vampire <laughs> and they're like no. <laughs> At the very least this this is a short movie. I think, like, someone could make a short of this.
0: Absolutely. This is our gift to you, Hollywood. Use it <laughs> wisely. Actually, no. Hollywood, don't use it because there's not supposed to be any writing going on. So f- you you stay away.
1: Yeah, some little indie can do this. A24. Yeah, there we go. You see, yeah. A20, A24 is allowed to make movies right now, basically. Yep. Because uh, they have accepted all of SAG-AFTRA's requests. Good for them. But... The Fu that's used to seal Piccolo is very similar to those seen in Jiangxi movies and pop culture depictions that we know Toriyama was inspired by when creating Tzu, so we know where he's borrowing this style from. We'll have a lot more on Piccolo himself as we go further on, including why his children look different from him and attempting to clean up the discrepancies between his two seemingly conflicting natures as demon or alien but this is our first introduction to him. And this is, again, a shift in Dragon Ball's tone. Uh, minor though it may be, we have we have really, really shifted at this point, I think, from... This is where we start establishing kind of a pattern that it's no longer just sort of... Villain the, of the week? It's, it's no longer... Or even just like the good guy's desires versus the the heroes and sort of low stakes. This is like the fate of the world is at stake, right? We, we've started establishing the, the, a larger set of stakes here. I'm good. I'm cool with that. I think, I, I think it's a great logical progression of, yes. of
0: circumstances.
1: Yes. I like, I like Piccolo. I like his introduction here. I think he works really well as like a, a big bad you know he's imposing he's he's that really good Emperor Palpatine Vader-esque type of like that's
0: exactly the vibe I was getting from him was Emperor Palpatine
1: he can intimidate you without saying much
0: or anything <laughs> <laughs> going by Pilaf's reactions uh,
1: the one thing I think Toriyama kind of goes a little out of his way a little bit To, like, sort of give a reason for why Piccolo hasn't been around before. He was Mm -hmm. trapped. And to say that, like, he couldn't escape on his own. Like, it wasn't a matter of time type of thing. And also that it's not like there were other minions of Piccolo around looking for him. But we never really get an explanation for why Pilaf found him or how Pilaf found him.
0: That is true. And as as we know from Roshi's backstory, this rice cooker was like on at the bottom of the ocean. Right. So like like Mariana's trench situation. So it's way down there. Yes. Which begs the question, how did he even get down there to get it? I can
1: get I can get with that, because Pilaf has some tech that no one else has. True. That is fair. What I'm a little confused is, like, where did Pilaf find out about this? I wonder if that's explained anywhere in the
0: next... Yeah, because you figure Mutaito died stopping King Piccolo. And the only other person that we know of that was present for that battle was Master Roshi. And he's the one... And he's absolutely not told anybody.
1: Right, he's the one who throws the rice cooker in the Marianas Trench.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question. To which Toriyama would be like, Just "Shut up and and read the manga. Don't think about it." I'm sure he would. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we'll get that
1: explanation. It doesn't. I'm I'm not one of those it ruins it or anything like that because you could come up with any number of potential explanations, right? Sure. Pilaf isn't exactly a complete idiot. He he like he is, but he's not like ignorant maybe or maybe i i don't know how to phrase it but like like he's a he's a dumb guy who makes the wrong decision constantly but i could see him doing some form of research and finding out about this demon king who once conquered
0: the world my my so my thought on it is there was probably like historical records somewhere yes as for how he found him who knows and Kind of like my opinion on it is I don't know if it's necessarily all that important because, like you said, we know he has tech to, to that should theoretically allow him to get to the bottom of the ocean. And this does seem like something dumb that Pilaf would do. Yeah, Like, oh, I need to free this really strong guy so he can help me beat Goku and not really thinking through the after effects of that decision, you know, like introducing a bear to eat the The foxes or raccoons that are harassing your chickens and then having the bear just eat all your chickens on you.
1: It's a pretty classic storytelling trope. The, um, God, there is, there's even a joke about it in an episode of the Simpsons that like, where is it during the whacking day episode? where like the snakes are going to eat something and then they're going to release like tigers to eat the snakes and then release like gorillas to beat the (laughs) The tigers tigers. to death. And then the, and then the gorillas will die during the winter or something like,
0: yes, very Uh, Simpsons esque,
1: but, but it's like a a pretty classic storytelling trope in general. I, uh, an example that like just immediately springs to mind because, uh, the movie was brought up to me to today, is the Dark Knight, the the mob that Batman has been kind of f- right so butting heads against this whole time.
0: Well, not even really introduced, but they allow the Joker to kind of fight off the Batman, not realizing that they're they're kind of hurting themselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That then happens again in in the Dark Knight Rises with Bane, where the that Roland Daggett I think is like bankrolling him and. He's like, yeah. I gave you all this money. And he's like, and how does that make you have any power over me? Uh, that's peel here. I freed you from your prison. Yeah. So like, can you put me back in that prison? Cause if not, you have no power over me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Piccolo's Piccolo's view on that is more, I'm allowing you to continue living. That should be enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's a, like, like we said, that's a pretty classic, like a, a bad guy or even not necessarily a bad guy like a bad guy turning to someone worse that's pretty classic even a a hero accidentally or on purpose but not realizing how bad the bad guy is type of thing like working with someone who winds up double crossing them that's a a pretty classic storytelling trope piccolo is just he's He is, even you can tell just from the, just from these three episodes, this is your first antagonist that you do not want to mess with.
0: Yeah, they do a really good job of, when I I say they, I I guess I really mean Toriyama, do a really good job of selling that this guy is not to be trifled with. And there is a legitimate chance that Goku cannot beat this guy.
1: Yes, it's, it's a really good, you still have some humor, right? Because Pilaf constantly being like, you're going to give me half the world. I mean, a third, I mean, a quarter. I mean, how about a city? That's like, (laughs) that's funny. That's funny. Groveling stuff. There's, there's still some humor here and there's still going to be humor all throughout Dragon Ball, but to never make your villain, the punchline of the joke or even the guy
0: making the joke, really.
1: Is what makes the villain work. This is a, a a strategy that Ishiro Honda employed when doing the original King Kong versus Godzilla, uh-huh. which is a comedy. It's he he has said in the past he couldn't figure out how those two would ever interact with each other in the tone of Godzilla movie that had been done up to that point, which there were only two others. But they were more serious, and mm-hmm. even the original King Kong was a like more serious like action adventure movie. He was like he he struggled to figure out like how do you get King Kong to fight Godzilla in like a serious movie, and he finally was like, well, what if the movie itself is not serious? What if it's a, a comedy and the, the movie itself is a satire of Japanese salaryman ideals and, and being a nine to five office worker and and that that won't,
0: that won't resonate here at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he said when making it, he never wanted the monsters to be the joke that that was not the punchline. And that's, you can make something that's funny and got humor in it. And humor can even be played off of the monsters, but the, or the, the piccolo, but mm-hmm. he himself is not the punchline of any joke. And that's what makes him work still.
0: I also think that, that that works to make it, like, relatable in a way, too. Because how many times has there been, like, horrible things going on in the world, but people still manage to find humor in different things?
1: You know, and then we have the evil containment wave. This is our first introduction to it. I think it's a cool attack. I love the idea that it, like, using it, uses your own energy and the stronger the opponent you're attempting to contain the, the more of your energy you need to use and you Mm -hmm. tap you out really though. It's what's, what's interesting. It's such a cool thing. And this little arc is like the only time it's used for a very long time. Yeah. I don't think it gets used in Z at all. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I really don't. I don't think so. And then it's finally brought back in Super, and it's used pretty well, actually. It's used a couple of different times in Super, and I I think it's pretty cool how they use it.
0: It's And it's funny that, that they bring it back for Super because, like, it absolutely would have solved a lot of problems in Z. <laughs> well, they
1: could have used it on Majin Buu, for sure.
0: Well, because, well, I mean, think about how busted this ultimate technique would be. It's like, yeah, you do it and you sacrifice your life. But we do have the dragon balls.
1: (laughs) That's where I also really dig the way it's used when it's brought back in super. And, you know, well, those are, those episodes are years out from now. So I have no problem repeating this when we get there. I like it's used in the fight against Zamasu Mm. and they like, forget the foo. They like, forget the seal. (laughs) And so it's just useless. And then Roshi uses it a couple times during the Tournament of Power or the Universal Survival Tournament, whichever one you prefer to call it, where he captures opponents, a couple of different opponents in little jars and then flicks them over the side and eliminates them. That's great. (laughs) And so it's like it's still it's it's used, but it's you it's like. Got its limitations still very much shown to it,
0: and that's the kind of stuff I I really enjoy, especially in action anime like this. When like characters like think around corners to solve their problems mm-hmm. instead of oh let me let me pull, let me pull out a new power up that you know new level of Super Saiyan instead of that it's no, let's go back to this old technique that we used to use, but we'll do it in we'll use it in a new way to solve our problem. So yeah, this is
1: this is our our Evil Containment Wave episode, our introduction to Piccolo, where we're kind of all through all that. Um, We'll be getting into Yajirobe, Piccolo's Children, Piccolo. Uh, Pretty soon we're going to talk more than we have in the past about Sensu Beans and where those came from. So that's all coming up in this next batch of, like, I think 13-ish episodes that we have 13 something like that maybe 20 until we get to the end of the king piccolo stuff and then we've got like 30 episodes to finish out dragon ball so that's all i got with this batch of episodes
0: all right all. So I'm, I'm all tapped out too hey are you almost here yet i have the worst itch on my nose and you didn't give me enough room in here to move around at all would you bury me in a shoebox? Complain, complain, complain. Is that all you can do? Considering I'm in a makeshift coffin, buried as if I were dead, and almost left behind to die inside said makeshift coffin, I'd say my complaints have been pretty limited. We just recorded an entire podcast episode, and I've asked you to come get me just a couple times. Besides, you never answered me.
1: I buried you in a uniform locker. Does it really matter?
0: No, not about what you buried me in. About whether we are almost here.
1: Oh, that... Yeah, I've been standing above you for the past 15 minutes or so.
0: 15 minutes?
1: You didn't dig me up? Well, we were having such a good discussion. I didn't want to interrupt it with the sounds of me scraping the earth off your grave and you begging to be rescued. When
0: I get out of here, I swear, I'm going to...
1: To what? Keep in mind, I could leave you down there.
0: I'm going to scratch this itch, is all.
1: Well, listeners, we'll take our leave of you here. Will I find a living bikini waiting for me inside this unmarked grave?
0: Whoa, you didn't even lay down any kind of marker for where I was?
1: What does this year of Final Forum hold for us? Find out next time and help us achieve our Final Forum. written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator, GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share it with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza.
0: The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.